This is Christine Brown, and while I have to listen to this podcast as my motherly duty, you have the choice not to. My sons, and of course Michael, sometimes say some naughty things when they're trying to be funny, but really, they're just being stupid. You still want to listen? Go right ahead. I am not your mother. All right, welcome to the second inaugural episode of the Patriots Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Brown. Uh, with me t- today, we have Mike Mello, all the way from Los Angeles, California. Uh, producer, director, screenwriter, actor. <laughs> wow, thank you for that. Yeah, well, I got to pump your tires up a little bit. I appreciate that. They're a little flat these days. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm sure your talent will shine through in this as well. I think so. Yeah, I do too. Speaking of talent, we also have joining us today, Steve Brown, one of my brothers, the one that will actually join us today. Hey, what's up? How's it going, Steve? I'm marketing and golf expert, Steve Brown, so I'm sure that'll come in handy as we talk about neither of those things. Mm-hmm. And uh, also with him, we have a special guest tonight. We have uh, Jeff Carr, Steve's friend. Who? What up? Is a 49ers fan, so we won't hold that against him. Jimmy G. <laughs> Jimmy Grapes, maybe. To be fair, he's a 49ers fan when this season's going on, even though I lived in New Hampshire. Yeah, well, uh, I think growing up, a lot of us were 49ers fans as well as Patriots fans, perhaps, because it was tough being a Patriots fan back in the late 80s, early 90s. Well, yeah, that's why we watched the season 2000 recap video instead of all the games. Exactly. Yeah. So let's start there. Um, there was some debate when we started this about when the actual dynasty started. Um, and so the vote was to start in the 2001 season. But I, I think it's a good idea that we kind of recap the 2000 season because that was kind of the official start date on paper when Belichick took over the team when Brady was drafted, even though you didn't see any of Brady. Um, so we watched, uh, in preparation for this, the NFL films, like season recap, which was probably generously titled building for tomorrow. And when you have something with that sort of name on it, you know, that the season didn't go well. Uh, I always wondered like what the shitty teams do with these. Cause everyone gets one of these, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. I think they make one for every team every year. Yeah, like, who, who's buying this? Like a 2019 Dolphins one? No, I think completionists are buying these. But I'm pretty sure I remember seeing uh, like a, a Buccaneers one from back in the day when they're still wearing the creamsicles. Mm. And it was sad because, I mean, it was basically one replay over and over again because they just didn't have any positive moments on the season. That's going to be the Dolphins this year. Yeah, same idea. I don't know. Year. They just made a quarterback switch. So look out. <laughs> <laughs> the same quarterback switch that uh the well the opposite quarter uh, kind of the same quarterback switch that the the cardinals made and then they made the opposite they switched one. again right the season after yeah <laughs> oops all right so yeah so i guess <laughs> it's no surprise then that the patriots finished five and eleven that season um, and even before that, they were on a downwards trend anyway, because they had they went to Super Bowl with Parcells, and it was at ninety six, and then he left for the Jets and brought uh, Curtis Martin with him with all that 
hullabaloo. And then and he took Belichick too. He did. It. That's true. Yeah, but, uh, he what's, took Belichick with him. Yeah, yeah. Let's call a spade a spade here. Yeah. Well, I'm still blaming on Parcells, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, Belichick can do no wrong. So we're not going to blame him on this podcast, right? Yet. Yeah. At least, at least, you know, one we won't blame him. Yeah. Don't talk about our So P. Carroll took over from from Parcells and won one last game every season he was there. So they were eleven and five when they went to Super Bowl. And then they were ten and six in Carroll's first year. Um and then nine and seven and then eight and eight before they finally got rid of him. They bring in Belichick who went five and eleven but beat some like surprisingly good teams, weirdly. Uh two of their wins were at at Denver against the Broncos who finished 11 and 5 that season which they never win in Denver and then they beat the Colts at home when the Colts were still in the AFC East back then um and the Colts finished 10 and 6 and both those teams went to the playoffs and their one of their other wins one of the the only other wins they had was against this Bengals team that we're starting the the season with um and that's kind of all there was to the 2000 season there wasn't much to talk about I beg to differ. There was a lot going on, man. Oh, yeah. I got I got I, notes, man. It's called show it, prep. All right, let's hear it. Because I, I took notes, too. But all I could find were issues. And I didn't want to start on the... Oh, oh, no. oh, they're <laughs> not. I mean, issues, are. that's a relatable term, I guess. I mean, they're, they're things happening, right? And yeah. we're talking about them. Um, my, my first note is that I can't believe this video exists. So that was the top one. Um, I'm right there with yeah. Steve. On but, YouTube. Um, right. Things you can find on the internet. It's, it's pretty impressive. I mean, I was more interested with like, you know, the the way that Belichick became the head coach. Um, things that were happening with Terry Glenn, uh, the Ty Law incident. So, I mean, this is like before social media. So I guess people might not remember or care or whatever. But if this stuff was happening today, I think it would be a little bit different. So I don't know if people remember some of that stuff, but I think it's fun to talk about. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, because that was the the uh, the Canada incident. Is that what you're talking about? Oh yeah, the uh, with Terry Glenn and Taiwan. Yeah, and Troy Brown actually. Oh, and Troy Brown. Okay, that's an yeah. unlikely one. Yeah, it was them three that went because they played a game. From what I understand, they played a game in Buffalo in the winter. And so the, the weather was real bad and the three of them were not big flyers. So they stayed up there an extra night um, because they didn't want to fly in the snow. Went to, um, I want to say Montreal or Niagara or something like that and uh, got into some trouble on the way back, I believe. I can't remember exactly what it was. Do you remember? I mean, I'm pretty sure that Ty Law got arrested for ecstasy. Yeah, but... Because I think they, they found it in the car on the way back, but he said right. it, wasn't his, it was like his cousins or something. Right. Wasn't I mean, Brown. he's a Hall of Famer, so I mean, I don't care. But Troy Brown doesn't need ecstasy, Steven. Yeah, you see those eyes? He's just generally happy. Football is his drug. <laughs> and now look at Pat Chung. Gets busted, his burglar alarm trips automatically. And yeah, and who's still, who's still a part of the team? Troy Brown. Coincidence? <laughs> That's true. I didn't even think about that. The coaching staff, Pat Chung gets popped. 
Jeez. Oh, boy. So that was something. Walking um, the dangerous line already. <laughs> it's just stuff that happened, you know? Yeah, that's true. I mean, um, I have read the, the Troy Brown autobiography, and he did address it in there, so. What did he I say? I will say that. Anything? That, uh, that recap video was kind of nice. There was a, like a blindside hit on Peyton Manning, which I really liked. <laughs> did you watch that part over and over again? I, I did rewind that part, yeah. Well, they like played it like three times, too, so I got to watch it like 12. Yeah, that's what I was talking about when uh, I was saying there weren't a whole lot of highlights for some of these teams. It was a lot of repeats, I felt, in this video. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the highlights for me, I don't know if you guys remember this or not, but I mean, there was the Michael Bishop Hail Mary uh, versus the Colts, like right before the half. So that was pretty awesome. I would say top 20 plays of the Patriots that year. Um, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That was almost a real hot take. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um there's the uh fake field goal um against the colts you know and then uh there's a tabucky mm-hmm. jones interception so they beat the colts so that was pretty cool um we saw a little bit of uh of glenn so that was nice before we never saw him again mm-hmm. um uh let's see that pretty much covers it <laughs> i thought it was yeah. interesting how better quality the the chiefs primetime game was yes like, video quality was way better on that and like Willie was mic'd up which was awesome yes. oh yeah that's right. McGinnis, in his prime at that point I think kind of early 2000s was his prime and that dude kind of looked like uh, a grown man playing with with smaller children on the on the same field he was just so much bigger I, I felt like everybody in these highlights are bigger like you, they all look like they're a team full of fullbacks on offense, and just that's because they're wearing massive shoulder pads. Yeah, I think that's part of it, but I think they're also just like, like defenses were bigger because it was still a, a run first league back in the early two thousands, like late nineties. There wasn't this focus on the the passing game, so people were just massive. Like you look at Loy Malloy, and he wouldn't, I don't think, last as a safety in today's NFL. No way. <laughs> but it's, it was telling that they're like, oh, Drew Bledsoe has passed for 3,000 yards in like seven straight seasons. Yes. Yeah, that was one of the stats. Yeah. That, that is crazy, though, that that was like a, a major accomplishment. And then you have, I mean, what do you guys think about that, too? I mean, obviously the rules have changed and everything, but yeah, like big deal. And then, yeah, the next generation that was hitting four, now you have Mahomes and Breeze who are pretty much doing it every season. Maybe not Breeze anymore, yeah. but. Do you oh, think that 5, like five thousand is now going to be the uh, the sort of goal? I think so, and, and I think that just makes uh, what Dan Marino did back in the day, throwing for five thousand yards back when everybody was still throwing for three, that much more impressive. True. Yeah, he was a beast. Yeah, yeah, it does seem like somebody does it uh, every year or gets real close to it every year nowadays. It's just not quite the same. Yeah, so that is an interesting point. Um, it was fun to look back on. But seven years straight doing that, Bledsoe slinging it, that's something. Jeff's got a hot take. I uh, just heard on ESPN today that they think Mahomes is going to be the first 100,000-yard guy. Oh, I I could see that. I could also see Brady playing until he's 48 and hitting it as well, though. Because he's at 70-something thousand, 78,000. So... With the league the way it is, if Brady can throw 5,000 yards in another five years, why not? 
I don't know if Brady's ever thrown for 5,000 yards. He has. Yeah, he has. Once, I think. In 07, right? Yeah. Well, he might have done it twice, actually. He's going to do it again this year. We can all agree on that. Fingers crossed. I mean, yeah, he's going to do it every year from now on, I'm pretty sure. Um, Also, I think you had made uh, a while back on the coaching staff um, on the Pats that year, which is pretty interesting with Eric Mangini and Rob Ryan. Uh, Scott Pioli was still there. Yeah, there was a, a surprisingly amount of, of big names back in these days. Yeah, you got Rob Ryan as your linebackers coach. Yeah. Underneath Eric Mangini. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. Eric Mangini was a defensive backs coach at that point, wasn't he? I think so. Oh, I'm looking at 2000. But yeah, I, I think just the yep, amount of coaches that were. Yeah. Yeah. Eric Mangini, defensive backs. Uh, Rob Ryan is your linebacker. I, I didn't realize Rob Ryan was attached to the Patriots in that way. You know, I just think of him as uh, Rex Ryan's long-haired, hairier brother. brother. Yeah, exactly. Yep. But then uh, yeah. I, uh, I looked into it further, and uh, there's some other guys that nobody really mentions, but check this out. You had oh, Jeff okay. Davidson. Oh, no, hey. Jeff Davidson, yep. the O-line assistant coach. Today... O line coach, Detroit Lions. Next guy, right? He's still in the league. Okay. Marcus cool. Paul, assistant strength and conditioning coach, now <laughs> head strength and conditioning coach of the Dallas Cowboys. And Dwayne Walker, defensive assistant, he's uh, kicking around as DB coach at Cleveland. So that's something that most people don't talk about. That's true because you always hear about how all the the Belichick disciples go out and fail because you only right. hear the guys taking the head coach positions. But the fact that all these other guys are still in the league, um, I mean, I, I, I know in 01, that uh, was Josh McDaniel's first year. Oh, that's right. Technically still in the league, but yeah. And I think uh, Brian Dable is still in the league as well, isn't he? Because he was. Uh, Whoa. And uh, Matty Walsh was on the uh, the staff at this point. Do you remember that guy? I do remember Matt Walsh, yeah. He was a, a little uh, video assistant um, fellow that may have had something to do with the old Spygate <laughs> situation. So he was kicking around. Oh, um, the oh, yeah. oh Brian uh, Dable. And the media guy, uh, by the way. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say Brian Dable is the uh, offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills right now. See? I mean... It's a beautiful thing. But yeah, this Matty Walsh guy, it has to be said in the media guide, I was looking it over, and it, it is written that he auditioned to be an MTV VJ, and he's single. <laughs> so that's a good professional resume right there. And finally, Do you think last but not least, I would venture to get, I don't, I'm, I'm, that's too controversial for me to speak on. <laughs> But um, and last but not least, Dick R- R- Rabine um, used to be the quarterbacks coach, and now he's dead. So yes, yeah, because he died between the two thousand two thousand one unfortunate uh, circumstance. Yeah, he passed after a stress test. Yep. So I was the guy that wanted to draft Brady. Right. Oh, yeah. that's right. Yes. 
So I think that's a good segue into this 2001 season because um, there were some things that happened during the offseason. Um, and that was one of the big ones was um, the death of their wide receiver coach because I think that was kind of like a playing for... Um, Oh, what's Robert Kraft's wife's name? Myra. Myra. Myra, exactly. Yeah. So playing for Myra Kraft that year where they had the stickers on the helmets, it felt kind of similar to that. Um, it was kind of one of those people who had been there for a while and, um, you know, everybody talked highly of him. And so, and it was kind of an unexpected death. Uh, but the other big news was um, Terry Glenn. Because he got popped for uh, smoking weed during the offseason, was suspended four games by the league, and then decided not to show up to training camp because I think he was there was like some money stuff going on as well. So Belichick turned around and just suspended him for the entire season, which I think was a, a precursor to everything he was going to do for the next 20 years and the yeah. NFLPA. They, you know, the NFL, everybody was involved. They were trying to figure out if this was within the rules. I mean, knowing Belichick, he probably studied it up and down before doing it. But exactly, yeah, because they're they're worried going to set set some sort of precedent if Terry Glenn challenged this and then it got overturned, and now the players have all this this power. But I'm gonna say that didn't happen because we didn't really hear much from Terry Glenn after that, other than getting. Well, everyone says you know Belichick can make these crazy moves because he. Uh has so much tenure in New England, but proves he doesn't. And this is his second year, and he's suspending Terry Glenn as their best receiver by far. Yeah. I mean, Burt Emanuel, really? <laughs> yeah, I know, man. Like, That's insane. Does he have a Super Bowl ring? You got to imagine he does. He was, unless he got cut further further on. But they usually give him to everybody who played that year. That's Yeah, I guess. So, I mean, Max, I think he has a good, our starting a good chance he has one. What? I don't remember this guy. <laughs> there was a lot of those, I think, in the this, third in the beginning of the season. He just absolutely blown up by Corey Dillon. Yeah. <laughs> he like bounces off Corey Dillon like he's made of rubber. He just goes flying. Yeah, there was a few uh, of those, especially this this week one game. There was a few people that I didn't even recognize the names, never mind. Be like, oh yeah, I remember that guy. It was just like a whole bunch of not even remembering that they were on the team. Outside of like David Patton. Yeah. So that was the thing is because Terry Glenn was suspended for the year, David Patton, they actually had in the Boston Globe, I, I pulled up some of the old Boston Globe articles from around this time. And one of them was basically about how he was um, working at some place, like carrying bags of coffee beans and like tearing up his hands before he got the call that he was um, mm-hmm. going to be playing for the Patriots. And we all know how that turned out. Yeah, yeah he said divine intervention. Yeah, exactly. Because the carrying coffee was um, God's punishment for him because he hadn't learned his lessons yet. But apparently, right. just just enough. Because he got the call from Bill Belichick once Terry Glenn was out for the year. And we know how that turned out for both of them, for both Terry Glenn and the little speedster. Now, Glenn, though, the interesting thing about him was that he had signed a... Uh, a new contract the previous yeah, it was, year. It was kind of a monster one. It was, yeah. At the time, it was six years, 50 mil with 11 guaranteed, which is like, you know, not much by today's standards. But back then, it was pretty decent. 
Yeah, that's that's top wide receiver money for the time. Right. I mean, similar, similar to some other deals that happened. Well, and then I um, I also saw that, uh, I didn't realize this, but Pete Carroll had suspended him before Belichick got there um, as well. So, oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, in 99. So there was already a little bit of a precedent there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember him always having a tumultuous relationship. Because right? even when Parcells was, was running the team and they had that press conference about Terry Glenn had an injury and Parcells didn't believe that he was injured. He thought he was sitting out. And so they asked him how Terry Glenn was and he said, yeah, she's fine. Right. In true Parcells fashion. Uh, that's like the only thing I remember about Terry Glenn. <laughs> well, that and the uh, the uh, that sparked the whole. Um, if you want me to be the cook, you got to let me buy the groceries. Uh, exactly. With Robert yep. Kraft and Terry Glenn, he pretty much hated him. Yeah, because Terry Glenn was Robert Kraft's draft pick, not Bill Belichick's. Right. Uh, Bill Parcells, rather. Right, right, and then you know, um, obviously Terry Glenn uh, passed in a accident, but pretty much every interview that I heard. Uh, after that incident was that, you know, he was a good guy. He was just troubled and never really figured it out. So it's kind of a sad story in that sense because he had the talents but, uh, and the style, but yes. uh, he just didn't quite put it together. Yeah, it felt like one of those guys where it came easy to him before coming into the, the pros. So it never really seemed like he gave, or like had to give much effort coming in, didn't know how to do that once he got there. Yeah. And so, yeah, he just never really put it all together. Whereas the opposite side of that would probably be Troy Brown, who didn't quite have the talent, but just worked his balls off and kept making the team. And from his biography that I read, uh, basically the only, like he kind of just hung around barely by the skin of his teeth on uh, Parcells and Carroll's teams. But mm. Belichick kind of day one came to him and says, I remember you from when I was, I was the defensive coach um, when I was here last. And I've watched a bunch of tape on you and I know what you can do. So we're going to basically feature you in this offense. 1200 yards, five touchdowns this year. Yeah. Yeah. And in 2001 was his, his best year as a, as a receiver. Cause he was kind of the, the number one guy because like you said, who else was it? Especially the beginning. Yeah. I mean, even in 2000, he almost got a, a thousand yards. I think it was like nine fifty or something like that. So mm-hmm. given that yeah. team, Oh, 944 yards and four touchdowns the year before. Uh, yep. 12.9 uh, return average um, in 2000 as well. So he was on his way to be a part of the team in that fashion. The original Wes Walker. Exactly. He, he was kind of oh, that. Yeah. Yeah. The original Gunnar Olszewski, if you will. Oh, boy. Oh, that's a hot take. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know it is. All right, so let's uh that that's kind of the lead up. So let's let's cuz we're haven't actually talked about the game yet. And we're about a half hour in here. <laughs> but uh, is there anything else you want to to touch on real quick before we do get to the game? Mm, uh, I mean, Willie McGinnis and Chris Slade had a pretty nice bromance. Yeah. So I missed that. And um about it for me. A couple notable draft picks for this year was uh the first round pick was Richard Seymour. Um, and they also drafted Matt Light in the second round. So two big names. That was kind of the only names I recognized from this draft. Um, there was a bunch of turnover from the 2000 season. 
the announcers in this game actually point out there was 38 new players from a year ago, um, and 18 of those were free agents. So Belichick basically just gutted the team that he had before, brought in a bunch of veteran guys, and I think that was his way of trying to set the tone for what this locker room was going to be, which I think still holds today. He has, I mean, he's created that core now that doesn't change as much because you got Brady that's there the whole time, but that was his kind of method from the get-go was to build that culture of accountability and bringing in the guys who knew what they were doing to, to help the young team kind of gel a little bit. And if you didn't know that, just watch this first game because the commentators wouldn't get, get off that topic for basically the whole third quarter when the Patriots stopped playing football. Well, it's interesting too, because a lot of the guys are older guys, like you said, veterans and they're, uh, like you know, they, they had a little veterans, right? They had a little bit of like a chip on their shoulder. They had an attitude, which is mm-hmm. interesting because it fit with the Belichick type attitude. It wasn't like this arrogant type thing, but like Brian Cox, I remember he was like flipping yes. people off, and then he became a Patriot. You know, yeah, uh, that, that was the name I was going to bring up. He had like an entire like neck roll on his shoulder. Oh, oh yeah. my god, yeah. that went like almost above the back of his helmet. It was <laughs> yeah, thing is awesome. Looked like the. The the headrest for your your car seat was awesome. So all right, and the, oh, the one last thing that they kept harping on too was that uh, this season they had replacement referees, which I did not remember. Yeah, I do remember that. It only lasted like I think three weeks or the first two weeks. Yeah, I mean that doesn't surprise me considering what happened after week one. Um, but yeah, it was kind of. When I was reading the papers leading up to it and afterwards, it like uh, half the articles are about these replacement refs and how they did and how they were going to do. And every time they made a call in the field, it's like, oh, these replacement refs look like real referees. Yeah, okay. Now, did, didn't that happen like a couple of years ago as well? Am I mistaken on it this? It did, yeah. Because um, it was in the age of social media, so it was way magnified. Yeah. It oh, got right, right. Blown up because they, they miscalled a Hail Mary for. Seattle, the, the Green Bay, Seahawks, yeah. Packers game, right? Yep. And one called it incomplete. One called it a catch, and they have the picture of one guy waving it off and one guy with his hands up. So, so the NFL still hasn't learned their lesson from 20 years ago, I guess. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm sure we'll have that coming up soon again. Whatever the next oh, yeah. CBA is for them. All right, so uh, yeah, let's let's finally get to, <laughs> get to this game. Um, this was uh, week one of the 2001 season, like we said. Again, it was in Cincinnati against the Bengals, who the year before had not done well. They were, uh, I think they were four and twelve or something like that. Something, something real bad. Yeah, they were four and twelve the year before, but their only real contributor, especially on offense, was Corey Dillon. Like the only two names I recognized from the Bengals roster, other than John Kitna, and I didn't recognize that for a good reason, was Corey Dillon and Takeo Spikes. Peter Wark, I remember him, and he was pretty good in this game. Yeah, that's true. I, I I vaguely remember his name. I don't remember him being as good as he was being hyped up to be, but the man made some quality catches in this game, the very least. Yeah, that one-handed grab was sweet. Yeah. Oh, that was Darnay Scott. Sorry, that wasn't. Oh yeah, Darnay Scott's uh, legit. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, I always had Darnay Scott in my head as a um, a quarterback, and I don't know why. I don't know who I'm confusing him with, but it was someone like that. When Chad Johnson was uh, on their team, but he didn't play at all. Yeah, because this was his rookie season, and so the yep. the uh, 
the commentators made some comment about how he looked good in preseason and they were excited to see what he could do. I don't think they quite understood what they had on that, but yeah. Spe- speaking of the, um, the commentators, I thought that was quite a quality crew for such a, a game that was probably not touted to be a, like one of the a list games. It was yeah. Gus Johnson back in the day who makes everything sound really exciting. Uh, I didn't think Brent Jones added much, but Sam Weish, the old coach of the Cincinnati Bengals, actually did, a, I thought, a, a really good job. Well, I thought that other guy sounded like Tony Romo a little bit. Which other guy? Brent Jones? Yeah. Really? I was like, Tony Romo? No. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't catch that. But yeah, I thought, like, Sam Weish, he, he, he kind of had that, like, you could tell he just came from coaching because um, he was all about like calling out the players who were getting away with penalties and stuff like that. Um, like he caught some guy, some offensive lineman holding twice on one play. Like, I don't know how he got away with one. Never mind two of them. It was all up and Jeff, Jeff remembers Brent Jones from his playing days. Yeah. Brent Jones was a 49ers uh, tight end, I believe. Yeah, he was like Steve Young's go-to. Yeah. 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 Because they had some, uh, they had some banter halfway through uh, because Brent Jones's 49ers actually beat Sam Weish's Bengals in the Super Bowl. And so Sam Weish's comment was something along the lines of, yeah, you, they, they beat us because uh, we couldn't cover their tight ends. And I don't know if that was actually true or not, or if he was just pandering to his audience. But to your point, um, after watching some of the 2000 season, I mean, I didn't realize that there was such a difference in sort of level of quality between teams, but the announcing unit was pretty pretty on point on this one. Yeah. I was surprised because usually, because yeah, I, I've watched some of the 2000 games too and you had some, I don't know, Dan Cricky and who was the other guy that, that did them with them and they were just not not the, the top crew, I don't think. It's kind of like getting Dan Deardorff these days or uh, someone like that. I don't know, Dan Deardorff, I don't even think he's doing it anymore, but just those. Oh uh, no! Who who did the last recent Patriots game? It was uh, Ian Eagle and Dan Fouts. Yeah, Fouts it's is like getting that crew. Yeah. What about old uh, Scotty Zolak? Do you like him? I like Scott Zolak, but only because he's such a huge homer. <laughs> I kind of enjoy that, especially like because he's a local guy. I enjoy that. Same with like Gil and Gino back in the day. What's well, that to, recap um, video? Just had just Gil and Gino. It was amazing. Yeah, all no, all there. It was. Yeah, no, I love I love hearing those two call the games because they they were just kind of like it, it, that was like the history for me is is hearing their voices. Oh yeah, mom used to mute the TV and then put the radio underneath it and be yeah. on Gino. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's where we got our hatred of TV commentators. Actually, was from oh, yeah. she would yell at the TV with the best of them. Um, some other general things about this game that I. Found interesting was uh, extra points still from the one yard line, and yet there were people that still almost missed them. Um, and the fans in Cincinnati in this game were like super hardos. Those uh, the guys saw amazing the, mustache. Yeah, there was a whole bunch of mustaches. It's almost like the '80s hadn't left Cincinnati yet in in 2001, but they had the the, the hard hat, but with the Bengals colors. It was beautiful. All right, let's see what else we got here. Let's do like best and worst because I got a good worst. All right. Well, it, yeah. 
Is there any anything else you want to touch on before we do that? I mean, there is quite a bit on here. Yeah. I mean, I, I hate it was such a. I mean, nothing really happened in this game. It was, it was one of the more boring games I've ever watched. But yeah. um, there are, you know, you see certain signs of things. I mean, you saw, you saw the toughness of the team in the first half. I mean, they kind of like gave up in the second half, but. Um, mm-hmm. Leto was slinging it, taking the hits as usual. Um, and he had just signed a contract that was supposed to basically be his career contract where he was supposed to yes. retire in New England. Um, and that he was just coming off of that. So he was sort of yeah. supposed to be the savior of the uh, the franchise at that point. Yeah, I actually wrote down the the comment that the commentator said. It said, uh, oh, here's Drew Bledsoe. They signed a multi-million, he signed a multi-year, multi-million dollar contract that should keep him a Patriot through the end of his career. Yep. <laughs> Week one, well, 2001. Two years. Yeah. Well, it's crazy because um, they also said that he was the uh, second, second longest with the team, um, probably of like active players, and Favre was number one. And he was out yeah. like nine years. So you look at Brady now, he's going on 20. I mean, that's just <laughs> unheard of. It really is. Yeah, 20, yeah, was 20 years in the league is for a non-kicker is is out of control, but to have all those with the same team is is even more so. Because even Brett Favre, who's like the poster child of um, longevity, how many teams did he end up playing for? Three at the end of the day? Because it was most of it with the Packers. And then, yeah, and the, then the Vikings. And Vikings. Yes, yep. I think that was it, right? Yep. Well, actually, he was with the Falcons. Oh, right. Yeah, originally he was drafted uh, by the Falcons. Yeah. That's true, yeah. yeah Even so Jakar's kind of- uh, man crushes ended up going somewhere else. Like Montana went to the Chiefs. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Where did Steve Young go? Yeah, Steve Young. He started with Tampa. I wanted to say he went to the hospital, but that would be uh, <laughs> <laughs> not very funny. <laughs> Yikes. I know. I mean, you know he's moving on. Moving yeah, on. I love it. All right. I, I think that uh, just just touching on Drew Bledsoe again, he uh, I was surprised at how mobile he was because in the few couple of games that I watched of the 2000 season and then this game, he was not afraid to take off, which was surprising because he was like six eight, 180 pounds. Like he was not a massive dude. He was just kind of this tall, gangly guy. But he was not afraid to like take off and try to lower the boom on people, which, you know, let's see how that comes back to bite him. Well, that was the other thing, though. It's like throughout the game and I think throughout the 2000 season from what I saw, every announcer pointed out, man, I don't know if the coach likes him doing this. Oh, man, I don't know how long he's going to stay in there. So, I mean, obviously foreshadowing, but it happened every game, which, I mean, you could say it's the line's fault, but – Bledsoe, I don't know, man. Like uh, he held the ball on, um, held on to it a little too long. He, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, those rollouts didn't help the across the body, across the field. I mean, so I don't know if it's his fault or the O line's fault or they didn't have receivers or what, but it was awful to watch. Yeah, it felt like uh, at least early in the 2000 season that I watched, a lot of it was the O line's fault, but I think there's equal blame to go around because he would like double clutch it or even triple clutch it on some plays. If his first guy was no, but it took him a while to go through his progressions. And because their O line wasn't stellar, I think led to a lot of sacks 
but it wasn't just their fault either. Yeah, you're right. He he kind of seemed like there's always one of those plays where he's falling down and he's uh, just kind of hucking the ball up without looking at where it's going, and you just kind of pray that it's not an interception because every once in a while it would be. Wow. I hope you guys watch this game all the way through because right at the end there's a guy wearing a gigantic furry Bengals head, like a like a cat head. <laughs> I, I missed that one. <laughs> I, I watched all the way through, but I don't remember seeing that. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think towards the end of the fourth quarter, I was kind of hoping this game would just end. Yeah, it kind of felt like that. I mean, they, they made it competitive at the end somehow. I have no idea how, but uh, it, was, it was a pretty pretty rough one. I mean, I'm looking at, you know, from the Bengals' perspective, you have Corey Dillon, who's just like a monster, and it was, like, yeah. great to see that. I don't know why they didn't lean on him more. but um, That's the thing, yeah. You look at, it like, our running backs, I'm looking at it, and, like, our Redmond, Antoine Smith, and Kevin Falk, and Kevin, I think Antoine Smith, or maybe Kevin Falk, I don't remember, one of those was a top rusher with 33 yards. So, I mean, pretty awful all around, I'd yeah. say. I, I, I was surprised how much they were trying to get their fullback Mark Edwards involved. Like he had like oh, three yeah, or four man, carries. They were, oh, yeah. they were throwing screens to him. That was my worst. Their, original their first half, their second half first drive was three plays calling Mark Edwards' number. <laughs> first down. And it's like, oh, well, that didn't work. Duh. That's shocking. No, I love that guy. He, he was. Uh... I mean, yeah, he's he's basically Devlin now, I think. Maybe he touched the ball a little bit more, but same guy. Yeah. I think he's Devlin, but without the um talent around him on offense to um to take away his touches. Oh yeah. Okay. That makes <laughs> sense. All right, guys, I gotta roll soon. All right. Maybe hey, wait, we still have so much to do. Hold on a second. Yeah, right. You guys can just talk to yourselves then. Huh? <laughs> you guys can talk to yourselves because you guys are doing a great job of that. Yeah, so oh, just give me you. Steve, just give me your best and worst, and I'll cut it in where it needs to go. Well, you heard my worst of starting the second half, just dishing the ball to Mark Edwards over and over again. Yeah, that was a surprising play call, but what are you gonna do, I guess? Reliable. <laughs> yeah, what was your best? Uh actually honestly watching Corey Dillon and just getting a sneak preview of what he's gonna do in the Patriots. That's true, yeah. Yeah, no, it, I mean he he looked the part that he could he was fast and he was strong and you don't yeah, he's see fast for a big guy yeah yeah all right cool all right homies good night all right take Peace. it easy bud love ya all right well now that he's gone still real, here real podcast oh boy that was awkward Oh, and I thought he was I thought he was gone too and I was going to say some <laughs> nasty stuff and no I didn't even hear the beat thank god I didn't alright now uh, alright now he's actually gone are you lying or this is no I just saw his I've gotten into trouble off. in the past I saw his name drop off the participants list you can check it oh out. the participants list oh yeah but yeah, I can't believe we didn't even touch on like the kicking game, man. That was like the highlight of this whole thing. You have the really, yeah. You have Vinatieri, right? Yep. I mean, money and snow already at that point building a name for himself. The opposite, yeah. you have Neil Rackers, which <laughs> I mean, the year before he went, I can't believe they they kept him, but he went twelve for twenty one. 
Uh, oh. That's rough. That's like the opposite end of the spectrum there. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And then we have like the greatest punter of all time on our team. Um, apparently, yes. I didn't really realize how nasty this guy was. But um, I, I, It felt like the way they were talking about him, it didn't feel like he was the best punter of all time. It felt like he was the punter who had lasted the longest on the worst teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it felt like the Vinny Testaverde type of yeah, thing. Yeah, because what do they say? The guy's like, I did the math, and Lee Johnson has uh, over 28 miles of punting yards. Yeah, it, it's insane. And, I mean, one of the highlights of the game was that 76-yard punt. Yes, which, yeah, I had that written down, too, in the four quarters. If that was like the Patriots teams of today, that shit would have been downed at the one. So it would actually, I mean, it would have been yeah. a 76 yard punt, uh, like for real. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But it was, uh, I, I was surprised at how quickly they were jumping on those. Like as, as soon as the ball hit the ground, they, they all just like jumped on it and didn't like let it bounce and see where it would end up. It was very unpatriot like, it felt like. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of a right, sloppy execution, but I mean, yeah. that dude was cool. You know, it's 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 a shame that the uh, punter is one of my uh, highlights, but hey, <laughs> yeah. So so far, the punter and the, and, the um, highlights. Well, hey, those are the building blocks of uh, Belichick's teams. I yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. Uh, I think Troy Brown was also uh, a highlight. If we're gonna talk about highlights, All right. yeah. If you want to be real about it, then. I mean, yeah. if we're doing the player of the game here, he's obviously the one. Uh, you know, would he have 100, 107 yards or something like that in the touchdown? Something like that, yeah. He had that touchdown in the second quarter. And just felt like he was the only guy who was doing any sort of, like, big plays on offense. Like, they didn't have any real big plays. They had one past the tight end, I think, that was probably the longest technical play. I think it was to Jermaine Wiggins, maybe. Mm. Um but it was Troy Brown who was the only one getting open. Like every time they needed something like in the fourth quarter where they were like stuck in their own territory, like on the, on the touchdown drive, um, oh, the right. last touchdown drive, they were on there, like they're, they're inside their own 10 and it was third and third and long. And, um, somehow Bledsoe fitted through two defenders to a falling over Troy Brown. It's like, yeah, that's, that's what I remember. Like I, I, I didn't actually remember anything from this game. But that play, I think, was the the most familiar out of all of it. Yeah, it was interesting. Same for me. I was wondering, as we kind of look back at these games, how much I would actually remember. This one didn't really yeah. stick with me. No, I had no memory of this game whatsoever. And I thought, yeah, I mean, I remember, I remember the storylines around it, you know. But I and I remember like the Brian Cox signing, which I was pretty into. Roman Pfeiffer, but. Yeah. And it was also interesting, speaking of those guys, I mean, part of the issue, I think, with the defense was they were saying, and I looked into a couple other things, like Richard Seymour was out. Yep. Um, you know, Ted Johnson was was out. He was dealing with an injury, which kind yes. of reminded me a little bit of the Gronk injury on that, like, field goal that, like, shattered his arm. But Yeah, because he was, it was in preseason. He was on, like, punt duty or something like that. Yep. And got some sort of hip injury or, or I can't remember exactly what they said it was some leg injury yeah and then because the papers were all up in arms about it. I was like oh well this is why you don't have your starters playing punt on uh, in the preseason and I thought well that's 
that's who Belichick is. They just don't know this yet. Right. And he, he, I mean, he, there was never a departure from that, but um, mm-hmm. it was also interesting because I don't know if you saw the, the stuff that just came out with Ted Johnson about talking about Belichick and their relationship, but I guess they had a rocky relationship for pretty much the entire, the, the maybe first three years that he, he worked with like uh, Belichick. And then Belichick sort of went up to him and kind of was accountable for the way he was treating him or whatever. Maybe it stemmed from this, but uh, they sort of made amends and then things were solid from that point on. Yeah, because I remember when Ted Johnson retired or shortly afterwards, there was a lot of talk about him talking about how the pages kind of took advantage of him because he was the the run stuffer and he was a guy that was always like, the one the clack has and he, he felt like they hadn't really protected him very well from like head injuries yep. and things like that i think so i remember that coming out when it like when he first retired and that, that was like kind of some of the reasoning why he did it why he retired and yep. it's kind of yeah but yeah so he just came out and was kind of talking about sort of belichick's personality and demeanor how he treats his players but then like how he gets them back so like mm-hmm. the uh I mean, it's also, I mean, this is for another another day, but he was also talking about how the Butler thing, um, how he was benched in the Super Bowl, and obviously he was furious, and then Belichick reached out to him afterwards and kind of made amends. So Ted Johnson's point was that it might have been a tactic on Belichick's part to treat people the way that he does and kind of play the puppeteer, but it's for oh, another day. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you can kind of see that being his MO, whether it is or isn't, but yeah, he's, he's right. kind of I built mean, that that mystique around himself, I think. Yeah. And it, it works, you know, if you're, if, if you're looking for results, I mean, can't argue, yeah. but <laughs> exactly. And then, um, yeah. And then I, I just had, Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think the reason that Corey Dillon had such a good game was because there was no Ted Johnson or Richard Seymour. Cause he rushed for yeah, like 140 yards in this game, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think the team ran for like 140, but uh, I think 157 actually. Corey Dillon, I know he had over 100. He did, yeah. How many? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was 104. But yeah, the, as a team, they ran for like a buck 50. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it was just that it was hot as balls, apparently. And you could just see the offense start to, or the defense start to kind of lose their steam slowly every drive because the offense in the third quarter couldn't stay on the field. But yep. I think not having those those two players, those two like, run defense specialists on the on the field didn't help either yeah and then also the uh um they were saying that willie mcginnis just what he was sort of trying to get back from uh back surgery and then taiwan had the foot injury yeah. so i mean there's a lot of stuff going on yeah they, they were down to like the the skeleton crew by the end of it and i think i, I don't think this game should have been this close um because, I mean, it ended 23-17, so the Patriots were still kind of in it, but I think it was only because, for some reason, the Bengals' offensive play calling decided to keep throwing the ball for no reason. Yep. And making all sorts of weird, strange decisions. Like, they didn't um, run a, a play-action pass until, like, two minutes left in the first half when they were gashing the Patriots on the run game. And they just couldn't. Like they just decided not to try a play action, which would have been the most obvious answer, I thought. But they also decided to punt from um, 
the Patriots 35, which oh, I thought yeah. was hysterical. Yeah, but hey, that was a hell of a punt. Hey, it better be because he's punting at like 20 yards. <laughs> it landed I mean, when he needed to land. Yeah, I mean, it got it inside the 10, but I mean, it's not like they put it on the one. And I think right. that set up the Patriots scoring drive, didn't it? Because that was when they were pinned deep and then managed to drive the, right. the length of the yep. field and score a touchdown to keep it. Because they were up 13, and then the Patriots scored and, and, and kept it close. Right, yeah. And, I mean, if we're talking about how they were running things, the the maddening thing watching this game was that, you know, they're they're running a basically a four-minute drill at the end of the half, the, the Pats are. And, I mean, it basically looks like there's like a minute and a half left on the clock. I mean, there's no awareness. People are freaking out. They're they're yeah. hurrying. Um, so it's it's so different from, let's say, a Brady run offense around that time. And then yeah. it ends with a sack. Bledsoe takes a sack. And then the next play is a delay of game. So they got pushed out of field goal range. I mean, it was a disaster. And then at the end of the game, um, the oh. yeah, the the two-minute dr- drill again was a disaster. I mean, it, it ended horribly. It was. And I think that this was a pattern in sort of that era uh, the Bledsoe era, unfortunately. Yeah, you can you can kind of feel why when Brady took over, Belichick was so comfortable with it because it felt like a lot of these games, even in the 2000 season, the uh, Patriots kind of played to keep it close at the end. Yep. And then they, they kind of set the offense up to have that one last drive to win it. And it just didn't ever really happen because it felt like Bledsoe couldn't run that two-minute offense or it it seemed like there was a lot of people creating other reasons why it it wasn't Bledsoe but at the end of the day he was kind of the one that was always there (laughs) in the middle of it not not working right but and then as soon as Brady comes in he wasn't playing out of his mind's the rest of the game, but he was just managing to find a way at the end of these games to finish them and, and get the, the win. Yeah, I think composure. I mean, the the announcers were talking about how Bledsoe's always cool under those moments, and for me, I yeah. think that was a big difference, like you're alluding to, is that it was just a different demeanor uh, where I, I think you would just panic, to be honest. But Yeah, it it, it felt to me more like uh, this might be too strong a word, but it felt more like uh, a defeatist attitude. Mm. Like, oh, here we are again. We have, I have to bring this team back. I put them on my shoulders. Let's let's give this a shot. See what happens. It wasn't like it didn't feel like the the fire you would see, especially in Brady's early years. Oh, him, it, yeah, you're right. Yelling out the play at the line, like screaming at people to get in the right position, sort of thing. You know, it, it just I, I, quite gave a shit. Oh, yeah, so. I, I agree. Well, I mean, that's that's tough to say, but it is. Yeah. And, and I think with Bledsoe being where he was in his career, too, and how much punishment he had taken, I, I don't really hold it against him in any way, because. I mean, I I've never played any professional sports, but, the you know, playing men's open soccer on a Thursday night, if you're on a shitty team, you kind of you know what you get yourself into, even if you're the best player on that team, you kind of. It, it wears on you just just not being on good teams for a while. So I can True. understand why he would feel that way, but it wasn't successful for any of them. I definitely played a lot of pickup flag football, and I was consistently one of the better players on the team. So 
we have a sort of similar uh, plight, I guess you could say. Bledsoe and I, I mean. Oh, okay. I was going to say, because I like that you were you were alluding to me actually being the better player on my soccer team, because I, I definitely was not. <laughs> I don't know about that. I'm glad I've you, I'm glad you on, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I always thought that you were going to take the MLS route, but, you know, you proved <laughs> me wrong. Yeah, we just did the podcast route instead. Much more lucrative. That's all right. Um, you want to do best moments here? Uh, yeah, but before we do, I just wanted to touch on that last drive because uh, I thought the uh, replacement refs kind of reared their head there because that last drive, even though I don't think the Pagers would have won it, it was still some bullshit calls because there was the one early, I say it was like first or second down where um, a free rusher came in on Bledsoe and he kind of shrugged him off and made the throw to, to Troy Brown, but they called him in the grasp like immediately. Yep. And so they, they gave him the sack and, and brought it away back. So it was instead of it being like second and five, it was second and like 18. Wasn't and it like then, kind of on the way down? So it kind of looked like it, but I mean, he still got it of. off. But Yeah, but it, like it's not something you would have blown dead. You would just waited to see how the play ended sort of thing. Okay. Just, it was like a real quick trigger finger on that whistle. Um, and then the, I think the next play was probably a sack. <laughs> Because this is Drew Bledsoe in the two-minute drill. Um, but so it was the third and like real long, third and 18 or something like that. And um, Bledsoe actually made the the pass to, I don't even know what wide receiver it was. Uh, I don't think it was Patton. I want to say it was um, probably Bert Emanuel. But he went down and made a, made a diving catch. Yep. And, um, like it didn't look like... Like it may not have been a catch, but it wasn't anything that you could overturn with replay. And replay, I think, was still pretty new in these days. But mm-hmm. they overturned that and called it incomplete, even though there's no like definitive evidence. So now it's like fourth and eighteen from your own twenty yard line, and they decide to like going back to what you said, roll Bloodzo out to his left as a right-handed quarterback, and then he, for all intents and purposes, took a sack on the sideline, throwing it like like just kind of shoveling it to whoever offensive line was in the vicinity so it wasn't an official sack. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of sad because, you know, we didn't really get to see too much more of him moving forward. So that's sort of one of his last big uh, plays, and it is what it is. I mean, fortunately, I don't think anybody really remembers the specifics, but looking back, it hurts a little bit. Yeah, like – like I said, I didn't remember any of this game, but a lot of it kind of felt familiar. And that kind of um, the the abject failure at the end of these games. It's like, oh yeah, no, this I remember this. I remember when this just used to be the norm, where you know they'd be closed, but they could never quite close the door because you know they get a penalty that would go against them, and then they would just kind of fall apart from there. Or you know, a play wouldn't go their way early in that last drive, and they just like couldn't couldn't make up for it you know yep whereas now you know brady gets sacked and it's third and 17 it's like oh well he'll he'll find amandola over the middle against the the jaguars for 23 yards in in a playoff game because that that's just like they just rebound and you kind of expect it now most from these these patriots teams these days whereas back then like the expectation was exactly the opposite yeah i mean i think that's the epitome of the entire Bledsoe era minus the Super Bowl. 
Yeah. And I think the Super Bowl was kind of uh, almost not wanting to believe that it was happening because this never happens to us as well. Yeah. I mean, and that was a perfect storm anyway. I mean, the team around them was something else, but yeah, uh, clearly putting it on his shoulders, like we've mentioned ad nauseum at this point. And I feel like we're not trying to bash uh, Drew Bledsoe here, but no. just watching, uh, watching some of his highlights uh, brings back some painful memories. So. Yeah. I think just especially cause this was kind of later on in his career too. So late career Drew Bledsoe, I think he'd just been beaten down at this point. Cause it, I mean, he was setting records before that, like in his prime, he was yeah. a top quarter. I had great fond memories of, of some of those games when he's throwing 70 attempts to come back from 24 down or whatever it was against the, the Vikings, like games like that, that I just, I still stick out, but 2001, it, it wasn't for him. Yeah. <laughs> he had seen better days. I mean, he played a part in 2001. We'll get to that later, but, uh, yep. you know, very true. Yeah. Almost in fairy tale fashion, but yeah, like I said, we'll get to that when we get there. Um, so yeah, let's, let's, uh, do our best and worst. You want to go first? Yeah. I mean, if we're doing, I don't know if we're doing the three best moments or the three worst. I, I mean, I think we've of kind of talked about uh, these, uh, ad nauseum. So I, if you just want to pick one of each, I think that's all I have left in my list that we haven't talked about. I don't about. know. All right. I mean, I, it, all right, fine. The, um, best moment was in a fumble. Um, yep. it was probably Where one it, of the, yeah, it was one of my one of the best fumbles I've seen outside of like the butt fumble. Where, I mean, he basically fumbled with nobody touching it. He just lost sight of the ball. I don't know what happened. Um, yeah, it it looked like he was trying to find the laces, and then couldn't, so he decided to throw it anyway. And just like, just, okay, it yeah. looked like it just like squeezed out of his hand. He just really needed the laces for that. That yeah, pass. and it goes flying backwards. And it's it's amazing because then like you see Brewski just like flying over people trying to get to him. So yeah, it was kind of a fun visual to kind of see the ball just fly to this guy's hand, and then Brewski comes into the screen. <laughs> so yeah. that was probably that, that, uh, that was actually going to be my best was um, seeing Brewski doing his run full tilt at the blocker and just jump over him, do that flip into the quarterback. Yep, that was that was kind of like his signature thing. Was just running at the guy and just jumping over him or trying to, and always getting clipped on the legs, and always like ending up tackling the the quarterback with his with his ass cheeks or his or the back of his legs, sort of thing. Yep, yep. And then an honorable mention for me will be uh, Bledsoe scrambling to the right, diving for a first down, helicopters, and uh, yes, you know that was that was pretty awesome. I mean, he scrambled all over the place, like you've mentioned, but that was that was an yeah. awesome play. Yeah, because he had that one, and he also had uh, he tried the the Q the quarterback sneak on fourth and two. <laughs> oh yeah, yep. Which was a ballsy, a gutsy call, and I don't think um, it was something Belichick was too fond of, like you were saying. I think it may have been uh, thinking outside the box, but he got a yard and three quarters, which definitely didn't help. <laughs> right, um, and then worst moments, I would say. Um, the 64 yard return of the, uh, that they had after the Patriots first touchdown, like was sort of yeah. backbreaking. I feel like, um, yeah, I was surprised at how, um, unpatriot, like the special teams looked like they didn't yeah. be very crisp on any of the execution anywhere. 
Yeah, it was rough because I mean, you, you right out out the gate, you're you're scoring a touchdown. You're you're the lowly Patriots, so it's this boost, and then ne- literally next play, it's sort of shattered. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It did. Um, uh, and then I'll throw out an honorable mention for this as well. Um, yeah. It's more of a cringeworthy thing, but um, I don't know if you heard the announcer go like, "Oh, uh, Greg Robinson Randall." Uh, what kind of a guy has two names? And then the other announcer goes, oh, he took on his dad's yes. name after he passed. I'm like, oh, that is rough. <laughs> yeah. You could just, you could feel the silence after that too. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty rough. That was brutal. Yeah. I think that was a, I think it was a Brent Jones special. That was. Oh, okay. Was, yeah. Two names. And, and Gus Johnson's like, well, actually, he took his dad's name because his dad passed. I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> I mean, that's um, that's some comedy right there. Yeah, it was, it was classic. Um, all right. So add to that, I'll, I'll give you some honorable mentions too. Some things that we didn't touch on yet. Um, I liked the how excited the commentating team was about the uh, what they called the shadow box. Oh, which was okay. Yeah, the scores from around the league. Yep. This is a brand new thing. It's like you might you might notice in the top corner we have what we're calling the shadow box, and it's going to show you updated scores from around the league as they happen. Well, yeah, I mean, this is... do they have the score on the screen at the same time? Because I don't remember ever seeing the score, but I was seeing the other game scores. No, they did have the score in the the top left hand corner, but it was right, but it was constantly changing, super hard to read. Oh, okay. But yeah, but then in the top right hand corner, they had what they were calling the shadow box, which is just like a gray box with white scores in it. (laughs) They were were super excited to be announcing that week one. They they were able to show scores of of other games while this game was happening, which I I really thought they had already been doing, but apparently not. (laughs) Um, And then uh, the honorable mention for the worst was. the upcoming schedule, which uh, not particularly funny, but they kept showing um, the Pats playing the Panthers next week. Oh, and right, right. Kept tripping me up, and I, I was thinking, am I watching the wrong game here? I, I had to go double check. I'm like, no, this is the right Bengals game. Why Why are they saying that the Panthers were the next week? And then it finally clicked that between this game and the game that was scheduled for next week was when 9-11 happened. So they canceled those games and pushed them to the end of the season. Yep. So, a little bit of a downer to end this because why not, right? It gives everybody. That's something true. I mean, I can turn it around if you want. Yes, please. <laughs> um, I could say that uh, because of that, though, they played the Jets, and that's the Mo Lewis hit, which right. took Bledsoe out. So, it could be said that Tom Brady and the dynasty happened because of nine eleven. Oh, wait, wait to bring that up a notch. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that's it, guys. <laughs> and on that note, we'll uh we'll be back. We'll be back next time to talk about uh 2001 week 2, which as we all know now is uh not against the Carolina Panthers but will be versus the New York Jets in the game that changed it all. So, right. thanks for joining us and we will talk to you next time. Later. Woo, bye.